I'm Robin Amler of IBS Intelligence, and I'm joined by Ed Adshead-Grant, General Manager Payments, Bottom Line Technologies. And we're talking about how banks can leverage customer data to provide value-added services. And particularly, let's start with the role that ISO 20022 can play. How does that help banks to develop additional services for corporates, Ed? Thanks, Robin. Well, yes, ISO 20022 is... Uh, is pretty fundamental for the flow of data into corporates. And, and it's, it's not a new standard. It's, it's actually been around for over 15 years. I, I think it was first published in 2004. But as with all payment systems, critical national infrastructure, it takes time to bed in. And that's what's happening. Um, it's become the uh, de facto standard for the way that data is structured across different payment networks, corporates, finally, can enjoy some more standardized data flowing through the systems. It means there's more real-time access to relevant data. And uh, historically, it's been quite fragmented. You'd, you'd have a payment over to the left, and perhaps a bunch of remittances to the right on different files. Now, with the 2022 standards coming to the fore, you can actually start bringing those data sets together, which would just be easier for corporates to, to op operate on. Payments to the left of them, data to the right of them. You make it sound like the charge of the light brigade. This data has been there. Now we're in a position where we can actually do something with it. That's right. The standard is, some would call it the, the data about the data. You've got these XML tags on the actual 2022 standard. So it really means we're moving from a dumb world to a smart world. So documents, just a plain invoice that's a dumb piece of paper can become smarter and tagged and linked to associated payments, for example. So that what does that mean? That means various things. But what, one thing that I expect corporates to see a lot more of over the next period of time is, I, I would call it a, a flavoring of payments or a verticalization of payments. So if you're in shipping and you like having uh, payments come in, of course, we all do as we trade, there will be associated documentation, so there could be bills of lading and uh, tax returns, et cetera, on the actual payment. A lot more information and context will be added to the payment flows as your treasury, as your finance department operates your, your perhaps multinational day trading. Well, that gives me aid and comfort as a corporate, but how does that customer data help a bank to provide value-added services? Is it just the context or is there more? I think the context is the big one in terms of adding value to the payments. But there are also more solutions you can wrap around. So for the fact that it is more standardized, it means that, for example, the whole world of machine learning and AI can be enabled. So the data can flow through it and we can start to predict, even prescribe what might happen in the data patterns moving forward. So the pain in a lot of this area is the range of different formats. I mean, I, I do a lot of home video work. I sometimes think of the analogy of MP4 files and .mov and .api, .avi files. And every year when I put some videos together, I put it through a bit of a converter to come up with a, a work of art in my eyes. But it's the same in payment. You've got so many different structures to it that until you get this ubiquity of standard, it's very hard to, to reach standard processes. And 
And the magic word in this uh, global commerce world, which is interoperability, I mean, that, that is the ultimate goal. If you can have standards that flow left to right across countries, across legislative regimes, data sovereignty setups, and you've got the technical data there, so it's readable and functional and quicker to, to operate, then we're in a good place for improving operations in, in any corporate world. And, and the banks know this and the banks support it. They, they want to move away from exceptions and repairs and other broken payment processes. So straight through processing rates and this interoperability can max out with this standard 2022 movement. But from what you're saying and the way you're saying it, we're not quite there yet. That's right. We, we, we're definitely not there. And, and look at cross-border payments and some of the pain points there. And the G20 did some wonderful work last year around the friction points in cross-border payments as perhaps some of the most complex movements of funds across standards, across systems. So there is a long way to go. And I think as well, it's something that needs to innovate, needs to move on and, uh, and needs investment because there are real data gurus out there. I'd call them the big techs who who know where you work, play and live and start to know where you make payments. So if the banking community cannot move on and bring these kind of standards in, then there will be the big tech out there that I can see coming in to payments because they know how to manage structured, unstructured data, ISO standards, et cetera, real time for relevance to the end user. But the end user, I need to stress this, the end user we're talking about in this instance is a corporate end user, yes? Uh, yes, a co- corporate end user is where bottom line focuses. We're, we're all about helping businesses pay and, and get paid. So that's where the uh, our focus is. Um, but more generally, I can see um, the big tech customers coming into the SME, the lower end, classic innovators dilemma coming in at the low entry point of sole traders, SMEs, and we don't know where that will go in terms of provision of data around payments. So definitely one to watch in terms of the competitive landscape of who can conquer this value add of bringing data into the system to remove complexity, remove fragmentation and standardise operations. One thing you didn't mention there was also the removal of cost. Presumably, this is actually because it's faster, because it's more efficient, is also going to be slightly cheaper for the corporate customer. It, it will do. There's always um, transition and investment in the IT systems and, and translation. So one of the big areas where we've been working on is a, is a transformation enrichment service. It sounds a bit of a mouthful, but there does need to be some conversion and investment to get there. And with that kind of service, you're, you're literally, you, you ping a file to us, we'll do the conversion and send it out so that you can then play on the standard landscape of 2022. So those kind of fintech services are there to help out. So there may be some investment cost and then long run, yes, absolutely. Costs will reduce, the ease of managing data will reduce, exception processing dropped. So all of those friction points that resemble cost uh, in themselves start to drop away after that hump of investment that is needed at times. Okay, well, I said we're not there yet. You said in the long run. What kind of timeline are we looking at for this brave new world to come into being? As I mentioned with um, uh, the earlier question, 2022 has been around some time and will continue. 
Swift now, if you take some of the global backbones, are completely 2022 and, and moving there with deadlines to finish up any trailing activity. Uh, us as one fintech, all of our work is now 2022 as an example, and most of our peers you'd expect it to be. So there is a lot of legacy and complexity out there. They do run on critical systems that people don't rush to touch unless they've got the investment signed off and ready. So this will go on for a number of years. I wouldn't even put an end point on it. I wouldn't be as brave to put an end point, but individual use cases will come up and corporates will be able to enjoy the benefits of easier visibility on their data. It rolls into smarter reconciliation, matching, and all kinds of areas that will prove out that underneath that data is becoming more simple and hopefully not more complex. All right, let's round it up then. We have a situation where, yet again, technology is perhaps not turning banking on its head, but is fundamentally changing the way people do business. Has that also been affected by, and it's the elephant in the room, the pandemic? Have you seen a greater degree of adoption, speedier adoption because of what's happened in the the past year? Joe, we we have in the past year. It's been very interesting with COVID and a definite acceleration in what I call digital transformation. We've been forced to work remotely. We've been forced to move to electronic signatures in various places to to function as financial services. So the pressures of the pandemic, in my view, has fueled the pace of getting your systems functionally correct as they work digitally, being able to make the most of other pieces such, such as open banking movements, real-time dynamics, all of these tie into this data conversation that once you're in the XML-tagged 2022 world, you can actually make even more of the open banking changes in in the world and the real-time faster payment movement. So it all comes together, but there's a time to pause. And in 2020, I know we had a lot of projects where people said, well, hang on, even though trading might be down, now's a good time to take stock, see where our systems are. Can we modernize and get the get the screwdriver out while things are quieter and then launch in 2021 with modernized platforms that incorporate a lot of these pieces that we're talking about? As someone put it to me recently, it's almost as though, certainly in some areas, as if we fell asleep in March 2020 and woke up in 2030. <laughs> Very good. Ed, as head grant, General Manager Payments of Bottom Line Technologies, thank you very much. Thank you, Robin.